this morning about one of our key practices, and then we're going to break bread together. Um, so we're looking forward to that. So I, I want to share some thoughts with you um, around uh, our final key practice. Um, if you haven't been with us or you've been sort of docking in and out um, and you want to just get into the flow of where we are, we've been looking at these six key practices that we feel are really important to fulfill the vision of rewriting the story of the city Ireland and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. And so since January, we've been preaching through all of these. Um, the last one we've been doing is investing in youth. And um, the guys did a great job last week just landing that for us um, a little bit more practically and hearing and teaching from the word. But how we want to invest in our young people. And the final the final one is striving for kingdom unity, which uh, maybe seems like a bit of a mouthful. What does that really mean? Um, but we, we want to speak in that for the next couple of weeks. I um, should say, over the summer, we feel that we're going to have a series on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to speak about the Holy Spirit. We feel that um, the Holy Spirit is doing some beautiful new things amongst us at the moment. It's important that we understand who He is. It's important that we um, honor His presence amongst us. It's important that we know how um, the fruit of the Spirit should be displayed in our lives, how the gifts of the Spirit should be manifested amongst us as we meet. And um, and so the last couple of weeks here we want of June, we want to look at this sixth value of striving for kingdom unity. These are practices, okay? So these are things that we feel um, we're going to live out. We're going to um, adopt in the posture of how we go about being Emmanuel Portadown. So while we've taught them, um, we're going to live them, and we already have been living them. We've heard some examples of that this morning already. So we'll be reiterating these, but we wanted to teach them so you had an understanding of what we meant when you see them as words on a, on a screen. And it's a good time to be speaking about this final one because we're coming off the back of an amazing weekend. The Lord's doing some wonderful things amongst us here in Lurgan and Portadown and across the city at the moment. And we held a conference in Ireland and we had some beautifully deep moments of church unity there with the Spirit of God was knitting hearts together and um, and the sense of God drawing people in the different streams of what He really wants to do in the land. And, uh, and I was brought up on a tradition that never massively spoke about this kind of thing, never massively spoke about striving for kingdom unity or the need for it. I, I was brought up in a really good tradition in many ways, but, you know, there was, it was never said from the front, but there was an implied kind of position that we are the people. Like, we've got everything doctrinally pretty much right, and every other church is a little bit of a watered-down version of what the church should really be. Because we are the ones that have it right. Uh, it was never said like that from the pulpit, but that was the kind of implication. In fact, we didn't even know if some people from other traditions were saved. Yeah. That's the way I was kind of taught. That's the way I was often taught to think. <clears throat> and it was a surprise to me if I met somebody from an Anglican church that actually fully was saved. Right, that that was the way I was kind of brainwashed slightly. Okay, um, and as I, as I say, I wasn't like actually told that, but it was more an implication. And um, and I I don't really think there's an awful lot of Jesus in that, believe it or not. Okay, and I'm going to try and explain that a little bit more today, um, uh, because <clears throat> God wants us all and His bride, wherever it is, to get in on what He's doing. 
and to be aware of how he is uh, working in and through his body so that the kingdom can come in the land in which we live. And so the, the best place to start when we talk about kingdom unity, <clears throat> I'm going to do a quick run through <laughs> of how this is the beating heart of God, basically, from the beginning of time right through to where we are now and in the end of the ages as well, okay? So sort of a brief 10-minute overview of this. And the best place to start when we talk about unity, and then I'm going to get really practical this morning about how we can do that. The best place to start is, is in God, in the, in the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a, a beautiful uh, community of beings who is one. It's almost so beautiful and mysterious that we can't fully get our heads around it, but God is both three and God is one. He is unity. He is community. He is, um, and Jesus, as we'll come to see, came from the perfect family in order to show us what family really looks like. Right? So Jesus came from the perfect family to show us what it would really look like and to show us what his biggest, one of his greatest desires for us was. Community and unity. Unity in diversity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct personalities of the Godhead are so close and essentially in love with one another that they are one. That's why we can say God is love. It's not some theoretical abstract thing. God in himself is love because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another in such a deep and beautiful, holy way that they define what love is. God is community, God is relationship, which means he is eternal in love. There is a deep oneness in who God is. There is perfect belonging in who God is. There is perfect love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have immeasurable delight in one another and joy in their relationship. They mutually indwell one another and, in a sense, interpenetrate one another in such a deep way that they are one. The doctrine of the Trinity you could preach all day on it to start with. It's our basis for how we do community. It should be our basis for how we do team. It should be our basis for how we do family, how we do love, because God in himself shows us what's it, what it's like. We get a, a glimpse into it in Jesus when he prayed to the Father, and now, Father, before he went back to before he went to the cross and then back to heaven, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Can you hear the kind of heart of Jesus? Jesus, God, glorify me. I want to enjoy again the depth of relationship that we had together even before the world began. Right? It's a beautiful thing. Here, here's a couple of quotes um, that just, just I'm just going to read just to emphasize the point. The truth is God is a circle of passion and life and fellowship. The Trinity is the most beautiful doctrine in the Christian faith. What the doctrine of the Trinity is telling us is that God is fundamentally a relational being. Fellowship, camaraderie, togetherness, communion have always been at the center of the very being of God and always will be. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit live in conversation in a fellowship of free-flowing togetherness and sharing and delight. A great dance of shared life that is full and rich and passionate and creative and good and beautiful. That's the Trinity. And here's the thing, right? Just on the side, but really, really important. You get caught up in that. 
If you're in Jesus, you get caught up in that circle. If you're in Jesus, you get caught up in that dance. If you're in Jesus, all of those things become such part of you laying your head in the pillow at night and thinking, I'm, I'm caught up in that. I'm caught up and caught up in the beauty of the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have one of my favorite verses. I think it's in Philippines. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Because of what Jesus has done, I'm in, I'm in this. <laughs> I, get, I get in on it. Here's another one from Greg Boyd. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God eternally exists as perfect love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit ascribe ultimate worth to each other without any competition. Right? So we're going to talk about church unity today, right? God shows us no competition. Their eternal life together consists in the divine joy of expressing the absolute value each has for the other, right? They just honor one another in this most beautiful way. And so when we talk about unity, it's important that we start in uh, God, which helps us explain why in creation God made Adam and Eve, and he made them equals in the image of God so that they could enjoy intimacy like he enjoys intimacy, that they could be fruitful and multiply, all of that kind of thing. And sin obviously put a virus in the system, broke that sense of mutual belonging and love down. And God has been trying ever since to build that sense of family and unity again amongst humanity. And so in the Old Testament, we see how God basically starts us off with the man, it sort of starts again, if you want to put it like that, kind of crudely, starts again with Abraham, and he says, I want to bless you and your family so that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's something of who the beating heart of God is, as we just described, would be expressed in and through humanity, but he needs to do it with a person. So he chooses this man called Abraham, and he starts to build family through him, so that through his family, the unity of all the families of the earth would be um, become a reality. Which is why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3, I bow my knee to the father of whom every family on earth is named. God's been trying to build this kind of global family of people under the lordship of Jesus. And so Abraham's family became the children of Israel. And the children of Israel were were commissioned and given a vocation, if you like, to be an alternative community that showed the world what family really looked like, what unity amongst themselves really looked like, so that they, their light would shine to the other nations. That's what God had called them to be. And probably the power of that unity is witnessed in this really kind of well-known psalm. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of iron, running down on the collar of his bones. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing for life evermore. Why would God command blessing on unity. Well, it's because it's who he is, as we've just described, okay? So this posture of humility and giving honor to one another seems to attract the blessing of heaven. It seems to attract the blessing of heaven. If you just want to stay in your, you know, you, you know, Sunday school taught us loads, loads of really, really good things, yeah? But the odd song is theological nonsense, right? And one of them is me in my wee corner and you in yours, right? That is, you know, we need to stop singing that with our kids because it's nonsense, right? Nobody's supposed to stay in their wee corner 
thinking that I've got my kind of thing all sorted and the rest of you don't really, or I'm going to stay here and hide my, hide my light under a bushel, basically, which is exactly what Jesus told us not to do. Yeah? So it's, it's not supposed to be that. We're supposed to actively pursue the unity of the church amongst ourselves and amongst the other churches. Oil speaks of something that's soothing and healing and anointing. When people dwell in unity, there's a soothing, there's a healing, there's an anointing of the presence of God, there's a synergy of our friendships that you can't really put into words. I've come to realize the longer I've gone on in life, as, as much as I want the anointing of God in my life individually, what I've actually started to realize, God anoints relationships more than he anoints individuals. He anoints, he anoints relationships when, you know, when two people get together who love Jesus and are surrendered to his lordship. God can do something with that relationship far beyond what we could ever imagine. More than he can do with you and your own. That's why you need the local church. And that's why you need, local churches need one another. Right? Because there's something that God can do. It's like oil. It soothes and it brings something of the presence of God. It's not only like oil. It's like dew. What does dew do? Jew, well, listen to this. It says, the Jews of the Syrianites are excessive. On many mornings, it looks like there's actually been heavy rain on a mountain like Mount Hermon, which it describes here. The dew that falls on the slopes of the snow-clad Hermon is particularly copious. Jew is a symbol for what is refreshing, quickening, and invigorating. And the psalmist compares the influence of brotherly unity upon the nation to the effect of dew upon vegetation. From such dwelling, individuals draw fresh energy. The life of the community, listen to this, the life of the community, religious and social, is revived and quickened. Right? The life of the community gets quickened and reinvigorated. Do you ever stand on dew uh, uh, on your bare feet in the mornings? If you're like in a tent or something and you need a quick lubric in the morning or something, you don't want to put your shoes on and uh, you creep out and there's dew. It, it invigorates your whole senses because the dew against your bare feet does something. It quickens you. You have to go to the toilet even more. <laughs> dew speaks of refreshing, quickening and invigoration. So we get these glimpses all Already in the Old Testament, you get these glimpses of the importance of unity in the heart of God through the people of God. When it comes to Jesus, we see this obviously fully expressed like everything else when it comes to Jesus. He shows us what what family and unity really looks like. Jesus does all his discipleship. Jesus, interestingly, he doesn't really mentor that many people one-on-one. Do you ever notice that? He does all his discipleship in the commu- mostly in community, mostly in his friends. And so he, he says, he, he kind of, you know, in the right sense of the word, he plays them off one another. Yeah. John and Peter and their kind of egos are getting in the road, and he's, he's discipling them in the context of friendship and unity because he's trying to build something amongst them. You know? And, you know, the reality is this is incredibly countercultural, right? Because we in the West are so individualized, right? And I know we all need our own space, right? I know we all need our own space, but we're, we're, we're so, as a culture, set up just to protect our own. Not even just religiously, but even socially and even community-wise. You know, we can get through most of our weeks without having to really talk to anybody else but our own family. And I don't think that's the kind of community that God wants us to enjoy. Right? And Jesus did all his discipleship in the context of friendship and family. And he called his disciples to love one another. This is what it says in John. 
John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? Well-known verse, one of those ones that we can read so many times it loses its power a little bit. But it's, it's good for us to refresh ourselves on this. If you love one another, a new commandment, I have loved you, you love one another, because all people will actually know you're my disciples if you love one another. The number one mission strategy, evangelism 101. Okay? Evangelism 101 is love one another. Because there's something about the community of God loving one another that stands as a witness to the world. And then even more poignantly, maybe, we see the point a few chapters later in John 17. This is Jesus' great prayer to his Father before he goes to the cross a few days later. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Like, let's get this. May they also be in us. There it is. That thing about the Trinity. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you give me that they may be one. One as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' great longing is and prayer was that the family he came from in heaven would be replicated on earth. And the last time I looked, this is the great unanswered prayer of Jesus. Yeah? The last time I looked out at the church, particularly in the West, this is the great unanswered prayer of Jesus, that we would be one. And for the most part, we're not. <laughs> and this is Jesus' great prayer, that somehow we would be one. Now, does that mean that we all have to go to the same church every Sunday morning? Well, no, because practically that's not even going to work, right? And we'll get to that in a moment. But the posture of our hearts that we're talking about here is the unity of the church. And I, I think we have to strive for that. I think we have to move towards that because Jesus longs for that. And Jesus indicates that this is the way we do mission best. And so when what Jesus came to show us, here's the thing. The early church, they did it. Right? They had a lot of weaknesses and all of that too. But for the most part, they did it. Acts chapter 2, I'll not read it, but we hear about how they were living together and um, filled with, people was filled with awe at the wonders performed by the apostles and the believers were together and things in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who gave need and every day they continued to meet in the temple courts and broke bread like we're going to do today in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, right? There's something about our love for one another that speaks of the life of God. And the early church did it. They moved towards a deep unity in the church because they were so immersed in Jesus, right, who had come come and lived amongst them, that they were prepared to die to their own stuff in order to pursue the bond of peace. We'll just stop here for a moment. I want to pray um, for people beyond the building just at this moment, okay? And every time, Mr. There, 
whatever his name is, right, comes in that thing, I just feel it's a little bit of a reminder to us, to people that don't actually come in here. And I just feel it's almost like uh, it's a little bit of a laugh, isn't it? It's funny that somebody's like cleaning the floors outside in the shopping centre we have churches. But I just think it's a little bit of a kind of Holy Spirit kind of rhythm of, remember, <laughs> there's people out there and uh, it would be good to pray. So could we do that for a moment? Lord, I just, I just thank you for uh, the truth of the gospel that doesn't allow us to just think about ourselves, oh God. Thank you, Lord, that we can have the same mind that's in you. And so, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for those who are beyond the building that you love and that Jesus you died for. And God, I just want to pray now that, Lord, even as our, our friend um, cleans the floors, that your spirit would even just come upon him, even right now, God, that your spirit would descend upon him. He'd come to understand that you love him and that you desire a relationship with him and that you want to know him and that you want to uh, come and be his savior, his Lord, and his friend. And indeed, Lord, for everybody else that he represents in this shopping mall and in the streets all around us, God, we just pray that your spirit would break out in the lives of um, people who don't yet know you, who need your salvation in their lives, need an encounter of your spirit. Would you just come and do that in and through us as a people by your spirit and for your glory, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so the early church did this, okay? They, they actually found a way in very complex situations to uh, f- uh, maintain a bond of peace, to strive for unity. Uh, if, uh, you know, and, and here's the thing, right? It was even more complicated than it was for us. So can you imagine a Jew is now all of a sudden sitting down with his, you know, whatever you call it, kind of, or maybe <laughs> sort of version of a sort of vegan kind of meal, right? And the Gentile guy sits down beside him, now in Jesus, eating a burger, right? Or a big bit of pork chop or whatever it might be. It's highly offensive, highly, highly offensive to a Jew. But yet now the cultural barriers are being broken down and they found a way to do it. And they actually didn't create a load of denominations along the way. They found a way to do it in relationship. And so Paul, the apostle, will say to them and remind them, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Lord over all. They'll find a way to make it happen. Despite geography restrictions and limitations, despite tricky cultural issues, despite big personalities and egos, they find a way to make it work. They find a way to strive for the unity of the church. If you're, if you want an example, read Acts chapter 15, where all the heads, all the big wigs, if you like, come back to Jerusalem. There's a big conversation about how we're going to do this because the Gentiles are in now and the Holy Spirit's breaking out on the Gentiles and all this stuff is happening that we're wrecking all of our heads, and they come together, they argue it, they disagree probably, they're to and fro, back and forth, but ultimately they find a way 
to, fa- to, to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus over and above all their own likes and dislikes and to recognize what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. And it tells us because of that, the church went from strength to strength. A whole new wave of mission happened. A whole new wave of converts come into the church because leaders got in their room and were mature and acknowledged Jesus over and above their own personalities. And so this is inspiration for us as we move forward, I think, as a church in, in terms of what God has called us for Port Down. Because if we're just trying to build our own thing, then unity doesn't really matter. But if the church isn't about us and our church, but the church is for the city, then unity means everything. And we have to strive towards it. And ultimately, when we get to the very end, the new heavens and the new earth, when we get there, there aren't going to be any distinctions. I don't know about you, but in case you don't know, Jesus isn't going to let go, well, how'd you get on there being a press bee? Or, you know, how was your life as, you know, how, how faithful were you were, were as one of the new churches? Or, you know, how did you get on as a vineyard? He's not going to ask any of those kind of questions. He's just going to say, did you love me? Did you love me? He's going to, and, and, and you're not going to be able to, like, come up with all the kind of religious duty you performed and served in your church. Like, that's not going to really cut it. You're going to have to look him back in the eye and say, yes, I, I love you, Jesus. I give my life to you, and I love my brothers and sisters. In Christ. I think those are kind of the things. So when we get to heaven, you see, you're not going to say, you know, whether you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a new church or a Catholic, you're not going to say those things. You're going to say, because the Bible tells us there's going to be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation there. And here's the thing, they're going to have one song, right? People from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, one song, one song, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord. Blessing, glory, and honor are yours. We lay down our crowns before you. (laughs) That's going to be our song. That's what we're going to sing. And so it's really important for us to realize. I just tried to present a really strong biblical case, basically, (laughs) for striving for, for kingdom unity. From the character of God at the start to how it's all going to end, to everything in between, particularly how Jesus showed us us. And so what I want to kind of take for the next 10 or 15 minutes to finish off is to say, why do we want it to be a practice? Why is it so important? Well, hopefully the first one's clear enough. It's the heart of our Father God. That's what we've just come to realize. And so if we want to be like Jesus and we want to, uh, we want to reflect the character of God in our lives, then we just need to do it if we want to be like Jesus. And we need to not try and find sort of arguments to get us out of it, right? Take some obscure verse from the Old Testament and try to make it fit for why you don't need to do it. Like that, that, that's, you know, if you want to see what this is like, look at Jesus. And Jesus didn't look tight-fisted in any of this kind of stuff. His posture was open-handed. That didn't mean he didn't call people to something he did, but his posture was open-hearted. Secondly, if we want to win a nation, or let's say we want to win a town, we actually can't do it on our own. Just kind of getting even more practical about it. We, you just can't do it on our own. In fact, let me say this. I don't even think Jesus wants us to do it on our own. In fact, let me go even further. I think Jesus actually keeps us slightly deficient. Not like in terms of our own personal wholeness, but as a church in terms of the graces that we have because he wants us to do it together. Have you ever been in one of those circumstances Well, I have as a church leader where somebody else gets the building <laughs> and you're like, God, we could really do with that building. Like, why did you give it to them? If you'd give it to us, we could have done something better with it. No, sometimes you think God's just having a big smile on his face and going, well, go and talk to them. 
and learn how to be an adult and go and start being mature instead of like being a child and thinking about what you don't get because somebody else got that. In fact, start rejoicing about what they got and then maybe you'll start to see the blessing come back in your and through yourself. And maybe some of the things we're praying for are actually already out there. We just haven't went and had the conversation. We've been thinking about Nehemiah as a bit of a guide and all of this. And just sorry to jump around just a little, but he tried to rewrite the story of his city, didn't we? Didn't he, as we've been thinking? And many of the practices that we've been teaching over the last six months that we feel God has put in our hearts, Nehemiah has provided a bit of a guide for us around how he did all of those as well. And we see this in in, uh, chapter 7. It says this. I thought this was cool. After the wall had been rebuilt, right? So we're up near the top now. The wall's been rebuilt. He's prioritized the presence. He's grew as a family. He's invested in the generations. He's, you know, he's mobilized the mission. He's trained and established leaders. And, and now it says, after the wall had been rebuilt, I set the doors in place. The gatekeepers, the musicians, the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother, Hana, Hanani, along with him, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most of the people. I said to him, this is about the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, look, but there were few people in it and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. And so my God, I love this, so my God put it into my heart. My God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical records of those who had been the first to return. And then if you read the passage, which is why I didn't put it up, it's just loads of names and loads of numbers of different people from all the generations because God put it into a man of God's heart to gather the people together because the wall has been built but there's nothing really in the city yet that's of any substance. And the only way that we can do that is if we get our heads and our hearts together as the people of God in order to see the city populated with the culture of the kingdom. They had to pull together into a bigger vision that's just about building a church. Because we're not here just to build a church. We're here to disciple the nations. We're here to rewrite the story of the city. And if your vision is, as we will describe it, apostolic in that way, it's always bigger than ourselves, then you have to work together as the body of Christ. It's one of the things that God has called us to do. And then the third thing, why we strive for kingdom unity, is that, I've put it like this, it's a key spiritual tactic to destroy the principalities and powers. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, Striving for unity is the opposite, is the complete opposite of the atmosphere within our nation and the atmosphere within our town. Right? So our town is, um, and and our nation is shaped by division, pride, and idolatry. If you're living for like a form of nationalism as your primary, uh, as your primary focus in life, if that's number one to you, whether that's whatever form of nationalism or un- unionism that is, if that's primary before Jesus, that's idolatry. Right? That is idolatry, right? And so if our nation, but it's dressed up with religion, but underneath it, it's idolatry. So if our nation is shaped by, right, if it's shaped by division, you, pride, and idolatry, then the people of God should operate and live in the opposite spirit to that. What is the opposite spirit to that? It's humility, unity, and worship. 
Yeah? And so when we worship Jesus and we say, Jesus, you are Lord above every other Lord. You are king above every other king. Right? Then something starts to shift in the atmosphere. And when we do that in a spirit of humility, you know, loving others above ourselves and with a desire for unity, then something starts to shift in the heavenly realms. And if we are, the opposite then true as well. In our disunity, we engender a kind of powerlessness against the principalities and powers. It's like we're toothless spiritually. It's like we're making no change in the spiritual atmosphere if we stay within our own trenches. And so when Jesus was writing, for example, to the church in Revelation, right, he wasn't writing to one church. He was writing to the church in the city because the church in the city is the redemptive agent of the kingdom of God in that area. And so our unity is really important. So let me encourage you this morning. When our two churches, and I know it's bigger than that now, right? So it's not just our story anymore. But when the church was born, if you like, as we sensed in Emmanuel God speak to us and the, 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 the merging and the grafting of two churches together, right? That's not just a nice wee Christian thing, right? That's really, really important that you understand this. That was not just, oh, isn't that lovely that they've got together? That was a potent powerful, spiritual change that happened in the heavenly realms here. It's opened something up over our time. Because when people approach the kingdom of God in the opposite spirit of division, pride, and idolatry, with worship, unity, and humility, and they sit in circles like we did, and have conversations about things that are a little bit tricky and a little bit, you know, you know, potentially divisive, but they find a way for the greater good of the kingdom of God to break out in people's lives. That shifts the atmosphere, shifts the atmosphere completely. And so it's important that we realize just how powerful that was. So striving for kingdom unity, this is what I want to get across in the last few minutes. It's not, it's not nice. It's not just nice, right? Because people think, right, there's a thing, you know, even the word ecumenical these days and all that, it's like this weak, watery thing. Right, the people that strive for kingdom unity are the most courageous, are the are the ones with the biggest guts, are the ones that that are prepared to take it on the chin because there's a cost account for striving for kingdom unity, which we're going to see. Amen. So practically, last five minutes, how do we go about it? If this is why we want to strive for kingdom unity, how do we go about it? We 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 love the body of Christ in our time, right? It sounds obvious after all I've said, but I mean like we actually love them, right? I mean like we, we go out of our way to love in word, in deed, and in action. And if we don't love it at the moment, and I have to like allow the Lord to do something in my heart about this daily as well. If, if we don't, or if we don't feel that, then we have to ask the Lord to do something in our hearts. We have to ask the Lord for, like, heart surgery. We have to ask the Lord to produce within us a love for the body of Christ in our time. Yeah. Now, we, and then we create, and we speak blessing over the other churches. And so simple ways to do it, like, we pray for them. Prayer, I think, is one of the highest forms of love. Not the only form of love, so it's not just about praying. But I think prayer is one of the highest forms of love. And so pray for them. When you're dropping your kids off at school and you drive past other churches, speak blessing over them. Pray a blessing over the other churches in the town that the Lord might show up in new ways. 
create environments to be together. Seek relationships and friendships, not tokenistic forms of unity. Not just showing up to turn on the Christmas lights, although that might be a start, right? But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be friendship. You know, in, in Lurgan, it's been great over the years to watch the level of unity amongst churches develop and fellas leading the Lurgan Ministers Fellowship for years. And the best way he thought that actually to start building unity was to have them around to the house for barbecue rather than just sitting for a meeting once a month to kind of tick a box. It's interesting when people come around to your house for a barbecue and they're let into your life and you start to like do like motorbike rides, which he's into with other ministers. And before you know it, they're friends. And before they know it, when one's down, the other's in their lives praying. And this beautiful thing starts to re- develop because it's, it's relational. It's God. It's not, it's not we're doing it for other people just to give us a tap on the back. We're doing it because it's part of who God has called us to be. Uh, and the thing about it is that doesn't mean we have to do everything together. Right? I am never been more glad, right, in my life, right, I'm just being honest, to be in the church that I'm part of. I love this stream. I love the new church, free church kind of stream. That's all I've ever really known. This is my tradition. I love the life of the Spirit amongst us. I love the graces that God has put in us as a body and as a people and as people from what might be described as a more charismatic stream of the church. I love that. I'm confident. I don't really want to be going anywhere else on a Sunday morning. But I can still love my brothers and sisters in Christ from other denominations and actually recognize some of the graces that they carry. In my own life, in my own personal devotional life, I'm enriched loads by some liturgy in my life. I, I, I read liturgy. It helps me just focus on the Lord, right? We don't necessarily do that here on a Sunday morning, but I find it in, enriching. I, there's things about my brethren background that still enrich my life that encourage me. There's things about my Presbyterian friends that, yes, I don't agree with everything necessarily they agree with and some kind of stuff, but I love what they stand for. I love their faithfulness to the Word of God. I love their faithfulness for evangelicalism. I love, you know, we can find a way to love one another within that. Like, I am part of a big family. All of our families aren't the same. And I, with the best love and desire in the world, I don't want to be with them every single day of my life, right? But I love it when we get together and we need to get together and we need to strive to make it happen because when families get bigger, it gets more of a challenge. And so you have to work hard on it because you recognize the value of it and you recognize what each family brings to the table. Yeah, and we start to develop. It's interesting. I've got three sisters. We're all, in some ways, carrying the DNA of my mom and dad and how they brought us up. But we've all, as we've matured, developed our own little kind of tweaks and DNAs and stuff like that. And you know, and and that's okay, isn't it? That's okay. Like we're not supposed to. God didn't clone us. It's unity and diversity, and uh, and so we need to find ways to connect together more and more. And so we can be really secure in who we are. We can just be secure in who we are. Jesus knew who he was and where he was going. That's what he said. And so we don't need to worry about. And here's the thing, right? We sometimes hear this. Does my head and right? Sorry, this is a bit of a fess up here now, right? But, it does my head when we hear people, but what if I like meet them for a coffee or if I go to their service? Like if I their faith their their faith will water down my faith. I'm like, for goodness sake, well it wasn't that strong in the first place, right? If you felt you can't go and engage in a conversation with them without it somehow contaminating you. Like for goodness sake, you hear that kind of stuff here in Northern Ireland. You do. 
It's like if I go, like, it's like, well, you're obviously not that secure in your own faith, in your own relationship, Jesus, what God's doing in you and the kind of things he's placed in you if you can't actually even pray with that person or even maybe even have a coffee with them. I see uh, Lawrence Graham, actually, who's a brilliant man. He's just the outgoing president of the Methodist Church. I saw yesterday or the day before he spoke at the Sinn Féin conference, <laughs> which they invited him to speak at, and he said in his closing remarks, now go and have a coffee with someone who disagrees with you. And, um, and if you want to see if your faith is kind of sharp enough, then why don't you try it? Because you'll, you'll soon find And the other thing I'd say just really practically is don't allow secondary issues, which aren't unimportant, right? They, they are important, but don't allow secondary issues to become primary for the sake of the gospel. So if you want to know what I mean, I don't know if, those, if, you, if you know the Nicene Creed, you'll know that there is your kind of doctrinal creedal statement that's held the church together for years, years and years and years. That's a good place to start. I would say most of, most of nearly, nearly all of, but certainly most of the primary issues are there in the Nicene Creed. The other issues, <clears throat> like infant baptism, like how we take communion, like a priesthood of all believers, like they are not unimportant. So hear me, hear me when I say that they're not unimportant. They're important issues that we should have good conversation and good debate about. But for the sake of the gospel and to see the kingdom come, they don't necessarily need to divide us. So make sure the primary issues are right. Don't allow some of the secondary issues to stop us from the furtherance of the gospel. I love this famous one in, in essentials. In essentials, the primary issues, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity or love. Yeah, in all things, love. So just really quickly, the last couple. How do we go about? We actually do love one another. Secondly, we count the cost. I just mentioned that. You're going to be seen as weak and compromised, and people think that about me, right? People think that about me because I love the body of Christ. See, I reckon when I stand before Jesus, one of the things he's going to say to me is, how did you love my bride? You know, if somebody once said, always remember what you say about the bride of Christ, because one day you'll stand in front of the bridegroom. Me, me, like I, I, I love Rachel. She's not perfect, but if any of you said anything about her, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I mean. When I'm saying I'm just using a cross example, but you know what I mean when I say it. Someday we're going to have to stand in front of the bridegroom. So count the cost of what it means to actually pursue and strive for unity. You will be sidelined by other groups. You will be ostracized by other groups. But you've got to do what you feel God wants us to do. Thirdly. Speak well of one another. Third one, speak well. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Speak blessing. Speak well. Bless. Bless them. Even if you don't necessarily agree with everything. You know, as Tozer once said, sometimes silence is golden. Sometimes silence is just yellow. Uh, when everybody else is having a go at another church, you know, and it might be for, you know, relatively legitimate reasons, but you know, just be careful what conversations you get into and just say, well, let's just bless them and pray for them and just operate in the opposite spirit. Stand together. Fourthly, there'll be times when then you can stand together and God might call us in the days ahead to stand with some other churches about some other things. And standing together is, 
important last Friday night in, in Emmanuel and Lurgan at the Tabor Conference. You know, we were able to stand with Methodists, Anglicans, vineyards. We were able to stand together. We were able to say, God, we are for this nation. We're for you, first and foremost, and we're for this nation. Yeah, we're for you. Stand together, and when people look on them, and like we've been doing that kind of stuff in conversations for for years now. But it's interesting the feedback you get when you do it publicly, where people just didn't think this kind of thing ever happened, and how people are touched, how people are uh, encouraged when leaders lead in that way. And then finally, we uh, we we share a mission together. You know that may well come at times as well. You have to discern the Lord. You know, but. But when God is anointing relationship, where there's chemistry to do some stuff together, where there's a synergy, it's, and it's not really structural. It's more of a dance than it is a structure, right? It's more of a it kind of feel us out together. The Holy Spirit seems to be knitting our hearts together. Let's, let's do, okay, it feels like we could do this together, and then we, then we do it. And the key to all of this, as I finish, is, is, is a vision for a, a church, is a vision that's greater than your own church. It's a vision for the city. And we see some of that stuff happening. You know, it's beautiful to see Chris had a, a vision for uh, a food bank in in in, in Craigavon. You know, it doesn't say a manual over the top of it. You know, it's just a vision to bring churches together so that together we could eradicate poverty and hunger in our city. You know, we expressions coming up and poured it down. Yeah, these are different ways that people can get together as the body of Christ, lay down some of our own stuff to pursue the grace of God. And in all of this, humility is the, is the wineskin. Some of the ways that we want to go about that this is poured down house of prayer as we come into the autumn. I think it would be great for us as a church to think about how we, along with members and people from the other churches, get together and pray and seek the Lord together for our time. Yeah, we we sense the Lord uh, in our nation give us this this vision. As many of you at the conference last week came to realize, maybe more and more, God has given us a vision to see the nation one. But we feel like the only way that's going to happen is if we plant more churches. Yes, do more new things, see the kingdom break through in places where Christ has not yet been preached. But at the same time, that we'd see these old wells reopened. Right, remember that as much as God wants to pour out new wine, and we need to pursue that, remember it's the old wine that tastes the best. That's why people pay the most for it. So if we can see some of these old wells reopened with the power and the presence of the Spirit of God flowing in them, there can be a richness in our nation. Marry that up with all the new things and the new churches that God's planting, and we can start to see God do something beautiful. I've been carrying a picture around for the last number of years, and it's off a circuit board. And I feel like the Lord has been saying to us, Alan, one of the things I'm calling you to do and as churches to do is to try and solder together the parts of the circuit board with loving, grace-filled relationships. Right. And, and this is really key, I think, for the moment that we're now living in. Because as we solder these relationships together and as we build genuine friendships and as the circuit board starts to all get connected up, what happens is if the power and presence of God falls at any part of that circuit board, in a little prayer room in a Presbyterian church, or in one of our gatherings together, or in a Sunday school room in an Anglican, wherever it might be, because relationships have been soldered together, 
and the presence and power of God falls and the Spirit pours out himself, which I feel he's doing in these moments and these days, then everybody gets to get in on it. It moves through the whole board. We don't just grab it all to ourselves because that's not the posture of the kingdom. It's not tight-fisted. It's open-handed. And, uh, and as a people, we really feel that the Lord is calling us to be a people that strive for kingdom unity. Okay, that's, that's what we mean when we talk about striving for kingdom unity. So what I'd love us to do here, I'd love us to finish now with communion. Maybe a band will come up. We're just going to remember the Lord and then we're going to be finished. But just as we um, reflect on what's been said and how the Lord's speaking, as we take communion today, I want you to be able to connect with the Lord, obviously in a very personal way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've asked him to be your Savior and Lord, you're more than willing to partake with us this morning of this table. You know, if, if you're not, you can be this morning. You can come to the table for the very first time, and we'd love to help you with that. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to point you to him and encourage you to ask him to become the Lord and Savior of your life. But I'd also love us as we come to remember the Lord this morning, to remember that the bread speaks to us of the body of Christ. Yeah, And, you know, maybe the Lord just needs to do something in all of our hearts this morning. I'd love us just to do this corporately, just as you take of the bread and you take of the cup. Ask the Lord to put within us as a people a love for his bride and a desire to see the kingdom come through every expression of his bride in this town. Not everybody will want to, to, to do it with us. You probably just got to be real and accept that. But the posture of our hearts has to be to, to strive for it and to love it. And God loves his church. God has never stopped loving his church. He passionately desires his bride. And so why don't we as a people respond to this uh, corporately together? Could we do that? So just um, just when you're ready, um, as, the, as the guys play, just come to the left or the right and break the bread, take a little bit of bread, take, your, take the cup, you can take it back to your seats. And, um, and let's remember the Lord together.